Good morning. This, this is a good day. Uh, today is the second to last chapel of the year. Uh, Monday will be the final chapel of the year and the final chapel for some of your college careers. Um, I am praying for you during this last stretch. And um, just one quick announcement before introducing our speaker. After chapel this morning, um, John Wiley has asked me if he could make a brief public service announcement. So if you have class right after chapel, feel free to leave. But uh, I think John is just going to make a quick announcement right after chapel. Um, it is a privilege to introduce our chapel speaker for this morning, our own Sarah Ocondo. Um, Sarah is the Associate Dean of Students, Director of the Multicultural Program. She's a graduate of Covenant College, has her master's from Geneva College. Sarah is loving, she is joyful, she is patient and kind. She reflects Jesus and makes this place better by her gifts and her spirit. Sarah and her husband, Jose, and their son, Toby, are members of New City Fellowship, Eastlake, and she's gonna come speak to us now. Please, a warm welcome for Sarah O'Connor. Keep talking. You guys can hear me? Great. Okay. Hi. Um, so when we were preparing for this, Grant said, how about we have more singing today and then we have to talk less? And I was like, that's great. Let's worship more. Um, what I didn't realize was it gave me more time to like plan an escape route while we, we were all singing. Um, but I'm up here and nervous. Um, well, thanks for letting me talk to you guys today at the end of the semester. Um, and today we're going to talk about race and ethnicity as Christians. So I would like you all to do me a favor. I want to, you to assess how you feel right now. Um, take a deep breath and exhale. What reactions, both emotionally and physically, are you having to our topic today? So let me repeat the topic. We're going to talk about race and ethnicity as Christians. What sensations do you feel? equivalent of an eye roll, exhaustion. Maybe you feel we have already fulfilled our quota of racial conversations on campus. Maybe you feel more than one thing, because as we learned from Nabil on Monday, two things can be true at the same time. Well, thank you for taking a moment and assessing how you feel. My real title for today, um, I think, is going to come up. I went too far. There you go. So my real title for today is actually The Joyous Pursuit of Redemptive Ethnic Unity. Let me share how I tend to feel when this topic comes up. Um, I have a physical response, which is definitely happening right now. Uh, my stomach tightens, my shoulders draw up, and I start to inhale rapidly. I feel fear, frustration, and excitement, among other things. It's so complex, and I'm nervous about where a speaker might take us, what they might challenge us on, how it might touch on painful parts of my own story, or painful parts of students' stories whom I know. I feel guarded. 
What's funny or curious about my response is that I'm actually paid to have these types of conversations. Um, in fact, I'm basically in my dream job, though it stretches me all the time. Um, as the Associate Dean of Students uh, for Student Life, part of what I do overseas um, includes overseeing the multicultural program, where I get to work with about eight student leaders and plan things and serve the student body. Um, I'd like to acknowledge that this last year was a big academic year for conversations on culture and ethnicity. It was a lot. Uh, we heard from a range of speakers and had activities which invited us to engage with the diversity of the body of Christ. So as a quick recap, we had a student MLK Day panel. Uh, we had speakers like Dr. Christina Edmondson, Michelle Higgins, Carl Ellis, Randy Neighbors, the B.D. Anna Weeble, and our own Dr. Beck. We talked about topics like Muslim immigration and the politics of Holy Week. Uh, we did the race card project in the fall. We hosted an MLK Day celebration. Uh, we celebrated, we did a Black History Night, Asian American Heritage Month, the Lunar New Year, Hispanic Heritage Month. The year was full of opportunities to talk about ethnicity, culture, and the gospel. But before we go further, um, let's take a moment. How did I get up here? Um, I'm actually not 100% sure. Um, I'm white. Um, I grew up in the PCA, and I'm Southern. I'm also highly introverted. Uh, like, I'll probably need to take a two-hour nap after we finish chapel today. Um, I mean, some of you guys might too, but. Um. So I like where I'm from, and I'm grateful for my family. I also like to learn, and more than that, I like people and stories. So sometime in late high school or maybe early college, a shift started to happen for me. I'm not exactly sure when, but I can point to a few events. Uh, the shift was a change in how I listened to other people's lives. I started to ask myself, what would happen if instead of approaching stories I didn't understand with fear and suspicion, I trusted people's narratives of their own lives? Shocking, right? To trust someone else's narrative of their own life. What if I risk being uncomfortable and maybe even wrong? Let me give an example. A shift started to happen for me when I believed an African-American classmate when she said it was a little frustrating when she ran out of hair products and couldn't just borrow shampoo from her roommate, like I did, because her hair needed different products. Or that she endured literal physical pain to achieve particular hairstyles. It never hurt me when I did my hair. Those simple statements from a friend are not ones that I would have just believed on my own. They're too different from my own life. It would be easy for me to think that since I don't experience pain when I style my hair, and I don't have to look that hard for cheap hair products, that my friend was being dramatic. It is easy to rationalize the way somebody else feels. It is easy to say they're just complaining, or even worse, that they're just playing a victim card. Fear and suspicion is the easiest way to approach other people's stories. It takes a lot of effort to trust other people. Once I began believing other people's narrations of their own lives, weird things started to happen. I was thrown into conversations and relationships I would have never imagined, just because I decided that maybe other people's lives weren't like mine. Simultaneously, I was reading the Bible, listening to sermons, and talking with fellow believers. I began to see that part of Christ's work in his church 
is evidenced in our unity. I find particular comfort in John 17. Uh, that's Christ's high priestly prayer when he took time to pray for his disciples and all future believers, which is us. He prays specifically for our unity. Um, and so if we of all people don't have a desire to lay down our lives for others, then what have we been called to? But more importantly, if unity is an expressed command from the Lord, then I can rely on him to accomplish that work. And I wanted to witness his work in that way. Um, for a while, when I made this shift, I overreacted. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I burst into tears and accused my parents of being part of the system of gentrification when they sold their home and moved a few miles into the country. In case you aren't sure what gentrification is, it is a process of renovation of deteriorated urban neighborhoods by the means of the influx of more affluent residents. I am sorry for accusing my parents of contributing to the deterioration of urban neighborhoods. But here's a cool thing about learning in community and relationship. We can encourage each other towards the truth. I have another confession. For a while, I carried around intense shame that I was white an intense fear and defensiveness that I might be racist or had participated in racist systems. Because somehow I think I had come to believe that racism was the one sin that was beyond the redeeming work of Christ. Again, in community and relationship, I was encouraged towards the truth. The Lord healed my shame. He reminded me that I too bear the Imago Dei and that my ethnicity wasn't random. He knew me intimately when I was made. He didn't just happen to make me white. He and fellow believers also showed me that favoritism and prejudice in my own heart and having benefited from racist systems wasn't beyond his healing. So let's come back to the present. This year, I had the opportunity to be on the planning end of um, a lot of the events that happened where we engaged with ethnicity and culture. And along with other staff and students and faculty, I began praying about a year, I guess over a year ago, um, encouraged by Professor Holstrom, that the college should become a more diverse institution. In all honesty, I'd actually begun praying that about nine years earlier, when I worked in admissions and decided that if my husband, Jose, and I had children, I would want our bicultural children to be welcomed at the college. I wanted a place that would accept our children as they were and not force them to assimilate. So for a long time, I've been praying. It turns out lots of other people were also praying. The PCA was thinking through things, and at General Assembly in the summer of 2017, the PCA repented of sins of racial injustice. There was a lot of praying, planning, and hard conversations. Over the past several years, I also listened to students' experience. That is a large part of my job, and has been for the past three years. I need to listen. I listened to how a white student felt when our basketball players kneeled for the national anthem last year. I listened to the cold reception basketball players got from their peers after kneeling. I listened as students explain how Japan's colonization of their home country impacted their immediate family. I listen when a Hispanic student seeks to understand what it means to be bicultural in America. I listen as white roommates confront a white friend on the use of the N-word. I listen as Asian American and Southeast Asian students at Covenant 
feel lumped together despite the vast diversity in language, culture, and political heritages. I listen to a white female wonder how to use her privilege for others. I listen to a white student who feels we talk too much about race issues on campus. I hear another white student say, we do talk too much about race issues, but we don't do enough. I hear a student explain why she doesn't believe her parents are racists, but she is not sure if they would support her dating someone of another ethnicity. I listen to Latinas ask why the conversation on ethnicity is always about black and white communities. Where are their stories in the conversation? I listen to women of color talk about the over-sexualization of their bodies in our culture. I listen to men wonder how to date cross-culturally. I listen to the ripples of these larger events and lectures we've had on campus, and it's a privilege and a challenge for me. It's easy for me to believe the lies of anxiety around issues of culture and ethnicity. I already told you that I'm guarded when the topic comes up. Some of that's healthy, and some of that is just fueled by fear. My husband and I are reading Philip Keller's uh, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, not to be confused with Tim Keller. Philip Keller was a shepherd, uh, and he writes his reflections on his experience with sheep. Um, and we read, let's see if it comes up. We read this passage this week. It is in the grip of fear that most of us are unable to cope with the cruel circumstances and harsh complexities of life. We feel they are foes which endanger our tranquility. Often, our first impulse is simply to get up and run from them, like I tried to do earlier. Then, in the midst of our misfortunes, there suddenly comes the awareness that he, the Christ, the good shepherd, is there. It makes all the difference. For me, as I listen or gear up to have the conversation again, Christ makes the difference. He supplies me with the empathy to listen to someone whose views are radically different than mine. He quiets my impulse to run from the complexity of these things. He sits with me as I listen and hold space for others. So why do I do this work? Why have I spent so much of my time praying for a specific part of the college? And why am I talking about it in chapel? Uh, let me read to you from Pastor Lance Lewis's chapter in Heal Us Emmanuel. Heal Us Emmanuel is a book written by a group of elders in the PCA as they wrestle through what racial reconciliation means. And um, Pastor Lance Lewis is on our board of trustees. So he writes, what's crucial for us to understand now is that the process of unifying believers of various ethnic groups not only began on the day of Pentecost, but is one of Christ's top priorities for his church and a key component to our witness. It is imperative, therefore, that believers joyfully pursue redemptive ethnic unity, not because it's the latest fad that's sweeping the church, nor as a cave into political correctness, but in obedience to God's express command. That is a crazy radical statement that believers joyfully pursue redemptive ethnic unity because it's God's express commands. He goes on to say, consequently, to hold to the conviction that we all, all we need is some kind of spiritual unity across ethnic lines that never manifests itself in real live relationships is simply not biblically sound or correct. 
Because of Christ's commands, the evangelical church can no longer shrug off the pursuit of redemptive ethnic unity, as if it were some nice option to have a multi-ethnic church, but not a true gospel necessity. Sorry. Make sure we're good. All right. Um, because I agree with what Pastor Lewis is saying, that ethnic unity is a gospel necessity, it's slowly being lived out in my life. Um, it looks like a lot of listening, like I explained earlier. It also looks like a lot of awkward conversations, um, like uh, starting to fall in love with my future husband. And when he told me he was born in Venezuela, believing he was referring to a country on the continent of Africa. <laughs> it meant that when Naira shared during the MLK Day panel and said she was about to talk about some weird things people had said to her, feeling 85% confident that she was probably going to reference something I had said or done. Um, it also looks like having a student worker explain why something I said was highly offensive, even if I hadn't meant it that way and apologizing to a high school friend for something hateful I had said. It also looks like a lot of learning, like Googling Venezuela and learning it's in South America. Um, yeah, so painful. So painful. He still married me too, man. Um, it also impacted the elective classes I took at Covenant and the books I read. Um, I wanted to hear from voices that were different from mine. It's also looked like active steps in my personal life, active steps in my life into uncomfortable places, even when I really didn't want to go. Steps towards a church that preached the gospel, but pushed me out of my cultural comfort zone. Steps towards neighbors who have vastly different experiences than my own. Steps towards thinking what voices my son has in his life. It's also looked like active steps in my work life. It means pushing into uncomfortable places for the sake of others. It means stepping aside and letting people with different perspectives lead. In all of this, Christ goes with me. As I mentioned earlier, he calms me and pushes me to places that normally my fears would keep me from entering. So I invite you to engage by signing up for a class where you will have to hear stories or histories of people different from yourself. Um, I invite you to engage with the multicultural program because we exist for all of campus. I invite you to pursue relationships, to invest in local churches. If the Lord can soften, convict, and change my heart, I have full confidence he can do the same for the covenant community. So earlier when I was writing this, I wrote, I don't know if we are ready as a community. I've been thinking about that. Um, in some ways, I don't know if we're ready as a community um, for the work that God does, but in other ways, I do. I've seen incredible things that you all have students have done, particularly in this last year, the ways you have shown up for hard conversations, um, rejoiced with each other, grieved with each other, and laughed with each other. Um, so I think change in a community, sorry. I think change in a community takes a lot of willingness to listen to grieve, to apologize, to risk, and leave behind fear. It also involves fellowshipping, rejoicing, laughing, and celebrating. It takes hard work. It is uncomfortable. 
It's hard to change not just individuals, but institutions. But it is also beautiful, good work of the unifying of Christ's body. It is, as Pastor Lance writes, the joyous pursuit of redemptive ethnic unity. Or, as Paul writes, for he himself is our peace, who made who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And we are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So this isn't the end of our laboring together, and it's not the end of the conversation. It's not the end of holding space for each other or learning how to love each other. It isn't the end because having conversations about ethnicity within the body of Christ is not about fulfilling a quota. It's about the joyous work of Christ in our community. So we have a choice. We don't have to live courageously. We don't have to be gospel-minded in this area. But we risk so much by closing ourselves off to the body of Christ. We can't exist as an arm alone. We also risk so much by ignoring the desires of God. We live because of our reconciliation with God through Christ. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us so that we might live. The hope born from our reconciliation with Christ and the promise that his kingdom will come is the foundation for this joyous work of redemptive ethnic unity. So be encouraged and have hope and stay engaged. Thank you all.